Hello there, welcome to Rome FM. Here we dive into the minds, workflows, and machinations of the Rome cult, the believers of Rome research. My name is Norman Cella, and I am on a mission to deconstruct wisdom from all walks of life so we can understand each other better. In this episode, we talk with Ali Abdal, who is a Cambridge University medicine graduate, a former doctor in the UK's National Health Service, and a prolific YouTuber making videos about life as a medical student, productivity tips, tech, Rome research, Notion, all kinds of things. We talked about his workflow, how he uses Evernote and Notion and Rome to do all sorts of information capture, defining creativity and content creation, as well as the value that we can provide to others who we are trying to help. Defining the perfect note-taking app, Ali talks to me about the similarities between a note-taking app and marriage. This conversation was really broad, so it's better to just sit down, relax, and enjoy this roller coaster ride of a conversation. So without further ado, let's dive into my chat with Ali Abdal. Yeah, I mean, I thought I would be a lot more, I don't know, like I wanted to do productive things. Hmm. It's only it's only been about two weeks now, um, but it seems like the days just get filled up with stuff. Uh like yesterday, we've said that Tuesdays are going to be the hangout days. And so um, yeah. I met up with four different people who wanted to, who came up to Cambridge just to have a coffee with me. And then two of them ended up staying at my place afterwards for dinner. And that was really fun. And just like good to hang out with people for several hours, uh, kind of at least once a week. And then there's an Instagram person who I know who's coming over tomorrow to hang out. And I'm having dinner with someone on Friday and then I'm visiting some friends on Saturday. So like, some, somehow the time just gets used up and I, I don't know where it goes. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm no more productive now than I was when I had a full-time job, which is a bit weird. Oh, okay. So you, now that even if you have all this time now, now that you have a job, oh, okay. So it's not really affecting that. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it hasn't really. We've still done the same, same, the same number of videos per week. Yeah. I haven't really done anything new it's just i don't know i it's I, I think this is like parkinson's law in action that work expands to fill the time you have for it and so these days like like now i wake up and if i've got all day then i'll kind of take my time in the morning i'll maybe go to the gym in the middle of the day maybe go for a massage maybe chill in a coffee shop in town for a bit and ultimately in terms of kind of uh creative output it's pretty much identical to what it was when i actually had the job which is a bit weird is it still as is it just as fulfilling? Because I know that you say that you have fun saving lives, being a doctor, and actually making impactful work. And then after leaving, now you have more time for yourself and hmm. you know your social interactions and uh, your creative work. Why I view your YouTube channel as your creative work. I'm sure, uh, yeah. even though there's like a business element to it, but it, it seems like you're doing just great in terms of how intentional or how meaningful do you want to make the most out of each day? But yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like in, in terms of the f- fulfillment, I haven't noticed any difference in my nice. kind of fulfillment of life pre employment and post employment. Um, I feel like even, even then most of my fulfillment came actually from the creative stuff, like the mm. whole saving life. Thing. I mean, I, I, I kind of, I kind of talk about saving lives in a tongue in cheek fashion because it's not actually yeah. saving lives. It's, the system that saves the lives rather than the individual. Um, and so work was fun, uh, but fun in I'm, I'm putting in air quotes because it's not what I would choose to be doing with my time. But once you're there, you kind of make the best of it and you hang out with people and, and stuff. So it, it's, it's a different sort of fun. Hmm. Whereas now it's like, I can literally do what I want and kind of hang out with people in the middle of the day. And it's, 
it's just been quite nice. So I don't know. I think it's still early days and I'm still probably in the unemployment honeymoon period. So maybe in a few months or in a few weeks or even in a few days, I'll start to get really bored. But I don't know. I, I haven't yet. It really does not look like you'll be bored anytime soon since you, you're just feeling you're just filling up uh, each moment of your day with something that you're creatively like willing to put in despite uh, having now what's the, the best way to put it despite not being part of a system that can save lives or despite not being part of something greater you choose to be part of something that you have created or manifested for yourself like a little small corner of your world of this world that other people are willing to come to, uh, which I do want to get into. But seeing as how this is a Rome FM uh, episode, I think uh, the cult will hang me for not really asking you anything about uh, anything related to Rome. So I, don't, I, I feel like I don't really have anything interesting to say about Rome, but I'm happy to talk about it. I love talking about apps. Yeah, sure. Um, no, a lot. Of, oh, a lot of people are asking really mainly about your workflow and use cases, but I want to go about I, I want to go about this a different angle. Because mm. that is very, very expected, and you know that's going to come up. And I know mm. that you love talking about apps. That's perfectly fine. But I do want to talk about your origin story from a different angle, your note-taking okay. origin story. Mm. Now, we normally call uh, the times before being introduced to Rome Research the dark times, uh, before you <laughs> get your mind blown uh, yeah. from all this bi-directional awesomeness. But yeah. uh, what is your note-taking origin story? Where do you get the, uh, the obsessive activity of note-taking um, injected in your veins uh, when you're, you know, trying to be a doctor, a YouTuber, and an aspiring Gymshark athlete. Exactly. <laughs> you've, really, you've really done your research. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've, I've kind of been do doing the note-taking thing since, like, I think 2010 or 2011 was when I discovered Evernote. And I think I probably found a Tim Ferriss article on his blog where he was talking about how he uses Evernote. And I remember me and some of, some of my school friends were super into like, oh my God, guys, you've got to check this Evernote thing out. It's really cool. And so I sometimes look back on my notes from 2011 and for, I, like, I was really big into close-up magic then. And so I used to sort of, uh, you know, export, uh, import snippets into Evernote and I had like a magic folder. I was into improving my social skills. So I have like a social skills notebook from like 2011 oh, wow. where I, I copied and pasted tips that I've picked up from like courses and videos and books and stuff i was also really into reading a lot about how to get girls and so like you know the whole like seduction stuff and like reading the game and all that and i had notes on that and i sometimes look at those and kind of chuckle to myself um but that i suppose is my origin story of note taking and then i, I never really took it seriously like like proper proper like nerd seriously um and, and then you know i got to i got to medical school and the, the note taking there was more about in fact, it was entirely about uh, sort of getting through medical school. Yeah. But then I sort of dabbled with things like Bear and Ulysses during med school. And, I, I, you know, I would, I would take notes on because I was running a company. And so I used to have like a, a folder of like ideas and, and things. I started using Notability on the iPad Pro quite a lot once I got an Apple Pencil. Um, mm. I quite like the handwriting note taking things. But it was only really kind of last year when I took the Building a Second Brain online course that um, sort of my note taking started to get supercharged. I was like, okay, this is some legit stuff that I should spend some time actively thinking about. Okay. Oh, okay. I, I see that there's like different levels uh, between the surface level of just, oh, this is interesting because you see this article. And then from there, you find it to be a need, seeing as how in your medical school, there's just, just a vast amount of information that you have to process to get through medical school. And now with BSAB or building a second brain, 
Oh, congratulations uh, on being an online mentor. Oh, uh, I'm really excited <laughs> to see that uh, happening. So let's let's focus on that last bit because uh, building a second brain, I've seen especially not only with the guests in, on the show, but really just the general, just the general Twitter verse. Um, building yeah. a second brain has really been has been setting the foundation for a lot of people when it comes to defining your own note taking system or define your own yeah. unique note taking system. How did building a second brain really overhaul your current outlook on uh you sorry your outlook on note taking at the time um i wonder if if, if i can find cuz this time last year or like in 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 summer 2019 hmm. i remember i discovered it for the first time and i remember think I, re, I remember feeling like my life was being changed as i was kind of reading tiago's blog posts where are we um i'm I would have, would have written about it. Hang on. Ah, oh, March 24th, 2019. Nice. When I discovered it. Yeah, so <laughs> here's, this is what I wrote in my email newsletter. And this was issue number 50 in, in March 2019. Yeah. I said, um, so I quoted from an article by Tiago where he says, you know, how many brilliant ideas have you had and forgotten? How many insights have you failed to take action on? How much useful advice have you slowly forgotten as the years have passed? We feel a constant pressure to be learning, improving ourselves and making progress. We spend countless hours every year reading, listening and watching informational content. And yet, where is all that valuable knowledge gone? Where is it when we need it? Our brain can only store a few thoughts at any one time. Our brain is for having ideas, not for storing them. And he goes on to say that building a second brain is a methodology for saving and systematically reminding us of the ideas, inspirations, insights, and connections we've gained through our experience. It expands our memory and our intellect using the modern tools of technology and networks. Um, and then I wrote in my email newsletter that when I read those first three paragraphs, my mind was blown. It was as if this guy was speaking to my very soul, articulating problems that I've been thinking about for years, but never been able to put into words. And so that was kind of the... Uh, like as, as soon as I read that blog post, I was like, "Damn, this guy, this guy knows." <laughs> I think like, like pre-discovering the building a second brain stuff, I I had no idea that other people were also thinking about this stuff, hmm. and I had all these kind of disparate things in my head. I was like, "Yeah, you know, exporting highlights to Evernote that kind of makes sense and, and stuff," but it was through seeing that there was a system for it all that uh, blew my mind. And then I kind of started nerding out sort of nerd level about all of this stuff. And that, that was kind of how I got introduced to the, the personal knowledge management domain. Oh, that's amazing. Okay. So I, I take it your, your note-taking system before BSCB was really just sort of like a mini framework that you've developed for yourself thinking, okay, this works. It's just fine. It's okay. And after being mind blown uh, by Tiago Forte's work, uh, which has really influence a lot of people uh, especially in the room cult because it, it's mm. amazing like para is seriously fantastic in, in terms of it being a system is it i don't use para at all <laughs> oh you don't use para at all okay um, so you wait I, so you went into bacb and then you don't really use para at all yeah para is a bit of, of, of it that i just didn't really i don't know like, <laughs> how, 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 how do you use you uh, how do you use para so what what are some examples of like a project versus a resource for you Okay, so this is interesting because normally I would I would you know probe with that question, assuming that you would use Para. I don't use Para, so I, I also don't use Para because I've tried I've tried using it in Notion, actually yeah. uh, using a variation of some of your YouTube videos because I do refer to them uh, for building my own system, 
And then I heard about Para. Initially, it was using Para in Google Drive, mm. and I would have a hierarchy of projects. So, you know, those those power, those small projects that take more than a couple of sessions in trying to finish them, then I would just stick them into a folder once I'm done. Yeah. What happened was that I'm on a free account for a Google or for a Google Drive rather. So uh, I had too many projects, <laughs> and then, yeah, yeah. So storage became a problem, and also it also. Uh, reading through the posts about you know how to set up your own power system they forgot to mention keyword searchability so trying to make that consistent was quite a big problem for me because i would try to remember oh okay this project was sort of about this it's about a blog post or it's about a video or it's about with this client or something like that and then it was too much work it became too much friction and i needed something more high touch and uh para to me became a framework that I look up to in terms of its impact on a mm. lot of people who prefer that style of PKM. Yeah. But it really did not fit me. And I had to do like a hybrid notion plus pen and paper until I found Rome. But yeah, uh, so it just didn't work for you at all? I think my, my problem as well is like, for me, what is a project? Like a project mm. would be something like, for example, an, an area would be the YouTube channel. Yes. But, yeah. But, and a project, I guess, would be each individual video. But if I'm making like three videos a week, then creating a new project folder for each one and kind of doing, doing, doing it like that just seemed a little bit excessive mm. because just when you're doing three a week, then across a year, you've got like 100, 150 videos and that's 150 yeah. projects. And, uh, you know, really the only thing that I needed for the project was a single page on Notion where I could just organize everything. And it made more sense for that to be housed in a videos database rather than in a projects database because videos are a very specific type of project. Yeah. And given that videos were my main type of project, it seemed a bit silly to have kind of one project section and then a separate video section and then a separate blog post section and a separate newsletter section. I don't know, I ended up getting getting siloed into sort of yeah and 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 not really being able to work with that structure of kind of everything is a project or it's a task um and so i mean obviously i still have like a projects list and i still use areas yeah and i still i suppose have resources in that i've still got my evernote notebooks for like you know everything but it's i don't specifically use the para system okay wait so do you still use your evernote I still use my Evernote. I, I, I kind of treat my Evernote as like the base layer mm. long-term memory. Oh, so okay. if, for example, you, mostly to store resources. So if I come across something interesting, so like, you know, I've, I've been thinking of making like a membership site. Um, and so I've, I've been looking at other people's membership sites. And I think, okay, where would that get saved? The, the place I save it is a um, memberships notebook on Evernote. <laughs> and it, it just works because you can set it and forget it. And I know that in a year's time, when I think about setting up my membership, I can just look in that folder and it'll be there. Equally, when I go to talks and stuff from YouTubers and, and things, you know, a friend of mine uh, had did a talk on Patreon. And I was like, okay, so I took notes on that talk and it went into that membership folder because that's sort of the same thing. Um, so I kind of use Evernote for that purpose just to, kind of clip and store stuff that I know I can just come back to at a later date. Hmm, okay, that's interesting. And that, I might as well just get right into your workflow then because that, that brings up some interesting distinctions. My assumption, and of course I have a lot of assumptions when preparing for this, mm. is that 
you would still have your residence calendar on Notion and you would clip a lot of these into Notion. And then from there, you do like a high touch um, summarize and process and understand. And then from there, you bring it up to some kind of application or maybe back into your room. But now that you have your organization of resources into Evernote, what is your information capture workflow? Because this, I feel like there's a lot of apps involved in here and we're not even touching into Rome yet, but uh, yeah, I'm just curious. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty fluid. Um, I yeah. kind of wish it were more, Roman. I kind of wish it, it were more systematic hmm. um, because then it would be easy to say, ah, oh, this is my method for using Notion or this is my method for using Rome. Hmm. But it's, it's more fluid than that. It's like, this, for, so, for, so for example, when it comes to capturing, usually the app that I use for quick capture is actually Drafts. Uh, <laughs> Drafts is really good. Uh, it's like by far the easiest thing for me to write anything on on my iPhone or if I'm listening to a podcast, I will dictate something into Drafts on my Apple Watch and that works. Um, then because it's so easy to export from Drafts into Evernote, it's like a one-click one -click thing. If it's if it's kind of like a resource that I know I want to come back to, it goes it goes into my Evernote. But if it's relevant to a particular project, i.e. a video idea that I'm currently working on or a Skillshare class, all of those attract to Notion. And so I suppose Notion is for ongoing active projects, whereas Evernote is for general resources. Um, yeah. Okay. I'm writing notes on this. This is pretty fantastic. And with all of this happening, you have your Evernote for one specific use case, which is your resources and your notion for anything project related. This is where we're going to get into the nitty gritty. How yeah. did you stumble into Rome? Um, I mean, just to win, you know, as, as you know, when you follow a certain type of person on Twitter, you end up hearing about these things. <laughs> <laughs> and so I heard about Rome sort of early this year and I, yeah. it took me ages to actually start using it. Um, and I was thinking in like January time, you know, I should start using Rome and then I can make a course on Rome. And then yeah. freaking Nat Eliason gets there and makes it a quarter of a million dollars in three months. And I'm like, ah, oh, shit, I should have <laughs> made that Rome course. Ah, oh, Nat. Equally for like Notion. Last year I was thinking, you know, I should make a course on Notion. And, you know, people are now starting to do it, but I feel yeah. like I could have done it and been way ahead of the curve. Uh, and now I'm kind of playing catch up. Um, but yeah, that was how I discovered Rome, just kind of through Twitter. And then it took me ages to actually start using it properly. They had, they, they had loads of bugs early on, you know, like I, yeah. made, I, I made my workspace and it would just be stuck on the loading screen for three hours at a time. And then I just kind of gave up using it like February, March time. Um, and it was only later when I, when Nat put out his course that I was like, okay, let me actually do this properly. So did you learn about using Rome through Nat's course or was it? Were you more exploratory in that once you actually got the uh, once you got past the Astrolab and the loading screen, you're like, okay, let me yeah. let me just play with it and then just leave uh, it no, on. I, le I, I learned it through Nat's course. I, okay. I, I knew that I could just do it myself, but I was like, you know what, I can't be bothered. There's a course, it's fifty dollars. <laughs> Let's just get Nat to teach it to me. And so I remember when I was driving to work, I would have it on the Teachable app playing at double speed, just mm -hmm. so I could. And I was kind of more hearing rather than watching because I was driving, and. I could, I sort of, sort of, kind of absorbed it while driving um, across a few days, and I was like, okay, this kind of makes sense. Oh, okay, okay, interesting. Okay, and from there, once you're past Nat's course and once you finished it, has your workflow in Rome diverged to to create something that's really unique to what you're doing right now? Um, 
I didn't think it, it's it, it to me it feels unsatisfying because uh -huh. you know as a productivity nerd you know like I said I want to have a single system or like I want to have like a defined workflow for doing stuff so the thing that I actually use Rome most mostly these days for for is like book notes hmm. um, and okay and, and then kind of using the that whole Zettel custom thing to create evergreen notes out of that I still do that on Rome and I think Rome is nice for that sort of thing um, so kind of book notes and I, I sort of came up with this thing called the Nibble framework that I made a video about, which is where every, whether it's a book or a podcast or a blog post or can kind of any, anything that I consume that resonates with me becomes a Nibble. So I tag it with hashtag Nibble in Rome. Um, and then I have like a, a query, a filter query thingy that just tells me what all of my Nibbles are. Um, and it's a Nibble until, uh, until I digest it. And so <laughs> once I've digested it, i.e., turn it into evergreen notes and sort of, you know, processed it, then it gets hashtag digested. Um, and then it goes away from the nibbles uh, query filter thingy in Rome. And so right now I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I've got nine books that I finished in the last few weeks that I haven't yet digested because I keep on putting it off. And I'm now telling myself, okay, I'm not allowed to read any more nonfiction until I get through my backlog of book notes that I need to go through. So I've just been listening to loads of fiction now because <laughs> I've just not been bothered to do the book notes thing. <laughs> do you set a limit to how much you try to process each and every day? Like every nibble, is it like just five nibbles a day in like one hour? What can I, how do you prompt yourself to like turn that into an evergreen note? Because I'm starting to see very interesting distinctions between the, the transition of a chaotic, messy note to something mm. that's considered evergreen or mm. considered publishable or public mm. or usable but yeah uh, what's your take on that um i don't have a system for this i need to make a system <laughs> for this i would love to have a system whereby you know in the morning i wake up i have my coffee i do my morning pages and then i spend half an hour you know going through my nibbles i think that would be a good system but i haven't even looked at this list in the last like three weeks and every day i think you know what i've got some spare time i should go through my nibbles and digest them and then i just don't do it <laughs> <laughs> I think oh, okay. I, yeah. Once you make something a system, it becomes easier to do. But I'm, yeah. I mean, I I like to give this facade on the internet that I'm a productivity guru, but actually, I've just been wasting a lot of time. No, here's the thing that that you bring up a great point because I feel like productivity gurus or productivity nerds or those who are just obsessed with productivity are really trying to teach people about productivity and all that and creating all kinds of content about productivity mm. to fill a certain shall we say, I don't want to say void or gap where that 1% or that 5% increase in efficiency is just so important that it feels mm. like a certain psychological desire. But mm. I was actually going to ask you about that because how productive do you want to become? I'm pretty happy with my current levels of productivity. And if, mm. if we're defining productivity as useful output divided by time, I think I I do a reasonable amount of useful output divided by time. In fact, no, I tell a lie. I would I, I would like to be I I, I would like to be more productive than I currently am. Mm. But I know that if I wanted to be, then I would be. And the fact that I'm not means that I actually don't want to be. So, for example. Uh, yeah, I've, I've got like four classes on Skillshare right now and Skillshare is an absolute goldmine. Um, and so I know that, look, I could, I could, I should be making 
one one skill check class a week for the next year, and yeah. it would still be a gold mine, and that just makes so much sense. But in reality, we only make one skill check class every six weeks or every eight weeks, and I, part of me thinks I should be doing it more frequently than that, just because it'll make loads more money. And then another part of me thinks, well, if I really wanted that, then I'd be doing it. So it's it's it's, it's kind of like a balance. It's like how part of me wants to have a six pack, but I don't want it enough to actually put put in the work. <laughs> um, so I think I'm relatively happy with like I don't I don't like self-flagellate myself for not getting as much done. Uh, but even so, I, I, I would I would like to do more. So it's kind of that balance. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. Sense. No, no, it does make sense, and I'm I'm seeing it personally as well because we have a lot of goals and visions and really ideals where we want to be this future intended version of ourselves. Yeah, and. You know, they come with extra Skillshare classes or more revenue streams or, mm. you know, a six pack or, you know, you're you're on uh, you're trying to be Mr. Olympia or something like that, you know, something mm. grand uh, or something powerful. I'm just I'm just wondering if it's like a projection of what we want to become because it's comparative to who we are right now. And that is essentially an alternative angle to am I is my self-worth being threatened or is my self-worth being affected right now because of where I am right now? It, it's it's quite a quite an insane balance. And I, I really, I just thought that maybe from your years and doing YouTube, from growing your channel to mm. diverging from helping only students to the tech, the tech space, to Notion, to Rome, mm. um, what is enough? But yeah, yeah, it's definitely a crazy, interesting thing. Yeah, that's something I think about a lot, like, what is enough? Like four Skillshare classes is enough, but 24 Skillshare classes would be even better. So uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> this is something that I, re I really liked um, Derek Sivers' take on this. Like mm. um, he, he recently released his book and he made like $250,000 from it. And he just gave it all to charity because he said, I don't, I don't need the money. And I was like, damn, that's, that's, that's good. That's very good. <laughs> oh, no, I, I love Derek Sivers. He's great. Like yeah. hearing him talk uh, on other podcasts is just amazing. Really articulated yeah. person. Yeah, he's Actually, one of my favorite like podcast guests. Yeah, yeah. Oh, now if I can land him as a guest on Rome FM, that'd be pretty interesting. Uh, also, <laughs> seeing Derek's take on Rome will be whoa. Yeah. Uh, but on on that note, though, here's something I've always wanted to ask you, and this is purely <clears throat> like not even Rome related, but I remember uh, watching your interview with Noah Kagan, and there were a few moments in the talk where he would say something along the lines of uh, that you tend to repeat what other people say in terms of like either wisdoms or sources of knowledge that you've applied to your work, your life right now, but yeah. you're always quoting something else. And uh, he wanted to hear the Ali Abdal uh, sense mm -hmm. of wisdom. I'm really curious about this. Do you have a lot of personal gained knowledge and experience, but you prefer to share that share knowledge or experience that is proven by other people as opposed to those by yourself because the concept of originality as a content creator is very very interesting topic to me and maybe rome will play a huge part of that but yeah what's uh, your take yeah so i feel like i'm not creative at all i don't i, I don't think i have any original ideas uh, mm. i think everything that i do is just stolen from someone else or is a remix of someone else's stuff and so yeah i, I always feel like very occasionally I'll come up with something that's like, oh, okay, this, this works. Like 
you know, I, I, I came up with this like retrospective revision timetable as like a, an alternative way, a just in time kind of way to build up a study timetable. Yeah. And I thought that that was pretty novel. And I thought, okay, kind of, this makes sense. This was an original insight insofar as anything is original. Like in reality, there's someone else probably came up with it before I did, but I didn't know about it. So I consider it original. But uh, essentially, other than that, there are so few things that I've ever done that I felt, you know, have come come from from within. But then, you know, people say that there's no such thing like what is creativity? Creativity is remixing stuff from one source and from and putting your own spin on it in some way. Yeah. So what I try and do is if I come across something or some kind of method, I will try and kind of make it my own by kind of renaming it or putting a weird label on it and, and stuff. So for like, like, for example, a lot of people in the note taking space would have an inbox and like a content inbox, and then they would process their notes and then they would become evergreen notes. And I was thinking our oh, inbox and process is a bit boring. Let's call it nibble and digest because that's just a bit more fun and a bit more playful. Um, but it's, it's a, it's, it's, it's not a, an original idea by any means. It's really just an inbox and processing. Um, and so, yeah, I've, I feel like anytime people ask me for advice, there's very little I can say that I haven't learned from someone else. And because I usually remember in my first brain uh, where the source was, I can say, hey, uh, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk says this, or Derek Sivers says that, or Noah Kagan says that. And I don't know, I, I feel like, like in, in conversation, I, I've now stopped doing that. But when it comes to like long form podcasts, I will usually cite my sources because it seems like people care. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I um, mean, I'm sure that like a small percentage of listeners or a small percentage of people who would, you know, consume your mm-hmm. content would probably ask for either the source or, oh, that was interesting. Do you have more information on that? Or where can I read up more about it? And, you know, yeah. you can always provide the source. But I, I'd like to push back on that yeah. to say that you're not creative enough because you've injected your own interpretation of the inbox and processing because mm. it's relative to one, your character and two, your lens on the world. Mm. And a lot of people resonate with that because even one of the questions on Twitter was about Nibble framework. I'm going to be honest. I didn't know what the hell they were talking about. Yeah. And, and it makes sense now because you decided that having a nibble and a digest fits more to your workflow and or your personality. And a lot of people resonate with that. So, you know, I, I'd rather that I'd rather that you not question your self-worth or your level of creativity because your creativity is now proven to be applicable, usable, just as the sources that have helped you right now your, you know, your first brain and Gary Vaynerchuk and all that have mm. helped you as well. So, yeah, you know, don't, don't, don't break yourself down so much. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> uh, and so, uh, yeah. I think on the creativity front, yeah. Um, I think overall, it is better for me to say that I'm not creative. Because then if someone looks at me and says, wow, this is a creative dude, why is he saying he's not creative? Then they'll hear my spiel about how creativity is actually remixing and there's no such thing as original content and there are no unique messages, only unique messengers. And then someone like me who is thinking, do I want to start a YouTube channel? I mean, I kind of do, but I'm not sure I have anything original to say. That yeah. person will say, ah, oh, okay, I don't need to have anything original to say. All I, all I have to do is just steal from other people and remix and then that I can be successful. And so that's, that's a big part of why I actively consider myself not creative because I think, yeah, you don't need original insights. You just need an original interpol. Well, 
just by virtue of the fact that it's your interpretation, it becomes original because you're you and you have a unique level in the world. I wonder if that... I, I wonder if thinking about that helps us question the definition of creativity. And I know mm. we've, we've just been talking about it as in remixing, but yes. then it also questions the traditional definition of creativity in yes. that it must come from the foundation of originality. Exactly, I, yeah. I, um, yeah, I honestly um, think that there's something really off about that because it means that you must be original to be creative and yeah. that kind mm. of constraint or that kind of initial expectations really does affect people mentally. Exactly. I, I, yeah. I, you hit the nail on the head. Like that's, it's, it's, it's that traditional definition of creativity that I'm using when I say I'm not creative. But now kind of we on the internet have redefined creativity to say it's a remix. And so yeah. I am creative by the new definition, but not by the old definition. And I feel like people who are just getting started with content creation who haven't drunk as much of the Kool-Aid that you and I have, they will be stuck on the old definition. And so we need to fight against that and tell them that no, no. That's all good. <laughs> you don't need to be original. Yeah, I know. I'm more and more discourse on that would be fantastic because we, we sort of have a very strange, not not us, but like in general, uh, there, there's a certain there's a certain image or impression of a creative person, especially as in, as it's been disrupted in the last 20, 30 years. Like if you look back at like creative people 100 years, 200 years back, they will be creating amazing art or amazing sculptures or designing something that was inherently aesthetically pleasing uh, and or creative in its angle or in its uniqueness. Mm. But we don't know to what extent is that original because they have to have learned someplace, like certain foundations, certain first principles, etc. But then now everything is accessible on the internet and people can get creative by just remixing things that or a blend of multiple fields that they put together and I like to call it knowledge synthesis or field synthesis, oh, where you nice. can create something unique to yourself. So like, oh, what is what is Ali's field synthesis, right? Is mm. it like doctor YouTubing, PKM and all of that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the possibilities of that uh, with Rome Research as a tool uh, is now honestly very, very amplified. And uh, with that comes a lot of other bi-directional tools. But I'm just really looking forward to to a time when the traditional definition is just completely gone. And now creativity is held on not a lower expectation, but more a more accepted expectation. Yes. As in just a little angle is enough and you are great just the way you are. It's, it's, it's Although on crazy. that note, so have, everyone says that, well, you know, bi-directional linking allows for emergent creativity and allows you to make these connections between things that you wouldn't have seen before. Therefore, Rome Research is amazing. I, I don't think I've ever once had any of those breakthroughs in terms of, I feel like for me, most of the kind of quote breakthroughs that I've ever had have actually been first brain, uh, first brain processes. It's been me thinking of, oh, I've read this thing by Naval or I saw this quote from Sivis and yeah. Yeah, that would apply here rather than spontaneously coming across something because it happened to be in the bi-directional link. Uh, I, I don't know. Have, have ah, you okay. found this in in your life that kind of the Rome thing has actually had helped you have creative creative um, breakthroughs? Um, th okay, this is interesting because I I would say both yes and no. Hmm. So on, on that on that first point, yes, through inspiration, through insight, and or through wandering in our thoughts, can we 
think of something and we're like, oh, okay, there might be something connecting here or there might be something new here or there might be mm-hmm. something that I've never thought about before. I should, you know, take some time to think about that more often or write it down. That's, of course, that's, that's, always, been, that's always been the norm. It's, yeah. Everyone has gone through that. And we have different levels or different frequencies of that happening. Like not yeah. everyone has shower thoughts all the time yeah. and not everyone is in a state of non-doing where we can just allow thoughts to synthesize with each other. Mm. On Rome itself, I look at it as not as a tool to enable that to happen, but as a complement. So mm. okay. the moments in which we gain insight, gain inspiration, mm. gain whatever new thing that you're thinking of, is when we have observed X, therefore we think Y, yeah. right? So X can be pretty much anything, yeah. which is pretty normal in the real world. Yeah. Rome is when bi-directional linking or any other feature, or you know, it doesn't matter what they do, but any of the features allow you to not create Y. It allows you to create X, therefore you, the person, create Y. As an example, if you have book notes on, say, I don't know, motivation is a whiff and range, by David Epstein, um, so mm. let's just say, you have notes on them and mm. they have specific contexts, right? Mm. Because these two are, their books on their own. You might have your yep. own thoughts, whatever, whatever. Yep. Your smart notes on each book may be the Y as a result of your X, which is reading the book. Yep. But another level of X is when you connect notes between this book and that book, yep. which would create another angle at which you can look at all of your relevant thoughts, all of your relevant smart notes, which will allow you to create why. Yeah. I have a feeling that all it does is it only allows you to create more interesting thoughts, but what you do beyond that is a reflection of your character, is a reflection of your, you know, your obsession with your thinking. Yeah. What can you do in between? Uh, so I do have to say, Rome does not help you think better. Mm. Rome only gives you more moments to allow you to think better. But oh, what you actually do from then on is not, it's not what Rome provides. Oh, right? that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that's kind of how, how I think of it as well. Like, so mm. for example, uh, you know, if I look through my list of evergreen notes right now, yeah. you know, for example, in the life category, we've got the four important things in life, the ideal life. What do we do with our lives? Do what you find yourself doing effortlessly, deciding what to do with your time, minimizing regrets, the simple pleasures in life. All of these are sort of related to life and what we do with it. But I've kind of made these evergreen notes off of different bits. Um, and right now, because I'm still, it, it's a, a relatively sort of um, fledgling type system. Right now, there aren't many interesting bidirectional links. But, you know, for, for me, the, the reason I no, I want to invest more time in this is because over time, you know, in five years time, or, you know, even in a five month time, when I've summarized my hundredth book, rather than my second book, at that point, this would then have more of a possibility for interesting, um, interesting thoughts to spark. Okay, so once your hundred books in, oh, okay, I, I would, I would honestly just say, like, start now, and then just see what happens. Oh yeah, um, I mean yeah, that's why I'm 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 starting now and I'm seeing what happens. But like oh, right yeah, now, totally. I haven't had any personal creative breakthroughs. But yeah, it's because yeah. I've only summarized like four books into Rome, and I've been putting off all the rest. Ah oh, okay, yeah, interesting. Yeah yeah, um, it we're seeing this a lot actually with uh, a lot of Rome users where, well, we call it the aha moment uh, where 
you are writing something or doing whatever with Rome and you you get the aha moment like you get the potential behind it there, there's a flaw in Rome research and I'm really, I'm really going to call out the team here there's a flaw in Rome research in the way that they market the tool normally mm-hmm. they would look at it as oh it's a tool for network thought okay mm-hmm. I get it it's also marketed as a note taking app so mm-hmm. it tends to get compared mm-hmm. with note taking apps there is some discussion like I don't know like a few months ago about how Rome should just have its own genre of yeah. apps because it just works better that way. But I and honestly you think get those stupid debates of Notion versus Rome and yeah. Rome versus Evernote. I'm like, oh, God. Do, do you get? Do you get? You're, you're sick of it. Like just oh, seeing like, it on the YouTube. Oh mate, I made a video about about Rome and everyone was like, but bro, I you know I switched my whole life to Notion because you told me to, and now you're making a video about Rome. What's I have to switch my life to Rome now? I'm like, guys, please. <laughs> this is not. This is not the way. <laughs> yeah actually on that uh, might, might as well talk about your channel can you easily tell the difference between followers and or subscribers who are who prefer Rome more than Notion or is it just look like all one big collective that always argues about which one's better etc I feel like Rome is now more niche and the fact that Rome has a price tag on it means that automatically more nerds are going to lean towards Rome uh, whereas Notion is now free for all, and so Notion is. Yeah. If if someone's using Notion, it's like someone's using Microsoft Word. Like it's it's nothing interesting anymore because it's just so popular and it's free. Um, and therefore, the Romans are more uh, have uh, are more zealots for the cause than the Notioners. <laughs> Partly yeah. because I think they're paying for it. Yeah, Although, I mean, of course. Yeah. Um, sorry. One thing I was I was going to get your take on. So I'm I'm working on a video which was going to come out on Sunday, sure. which is called, which was going to be called something like the perfect note-taking app. Um, and kind of the point that I was going to make in the video is that there is no such thing as the perfect note-taking app. Um, you know, here are the things you should be looking for in an app. And, you know, here, here, here what's it, what, what it's about. And then at, at some point I had thought, and actually finding the perfect note-taking app is kind of like trying to find a spouse um, mm. And I think that there are four similarities and one key difference. So I want to run these by you, and I wonder if you can add any more thoughts to the mix, because then I can, it will, it'll help me for my video. Does that sure. sound all right? Yeah, go for it. Um, so let's bring this up on a notion. Uh, where are we? And uh, uh, also for any other uh, listeners to Room FM right now, you can probably add in or tweet at Ali or me. And anything that we talked about here, I'll be I'll be transcribing it, so you can. Just copy it over from your Rome graph, uh, from the public Rome graph. But yeah, yeah, please run them through me. Nice. So, um, four similarities, one difference. Similarity number one: there is no such thing as a soulmate, and we get taught this thing of like, oh, you know, there's someone out there that's perfect for you, whereas in reality, there are millions of people out there who are good enough for you, and most of the success of a marriage comes from the effort you put into it, rather than from finding that one perfect person out there for you. And equally, it's the same with a note-taking app. There is no such thing as the soulmate note-taking app. Instead, all apps have the pros and cons. You find some, well, some that uh, you find something that gels more or less with you, and then you make it your own. You sort of grow with it over time, and there, then it becomes a successful marriage. Does that sound reasonable? As like principle number one. Yeah, I, I can I can agree with it. Uh, I'm seeing other perspectives where we have Rome. Workspaces or Rome graphs, 
to clone ourselves because each and every block represents a thought or a note that we've been having ourselves yeah. and all the features yeah sure they can complement with linking them but what happens is that you are essentially putting into pen and paper or rather you're putting into Rome a clone of everything that you've thought of throughout the timeline of your life and hence okay. the daily notes page hence all of that so another angle maybe since yeah. you're talking about dating and relationships and all that is by having a Rome workspace, you are entering a relationship with yourself, your past self, to be clear, because these are notes that you have taken, right? So as you are interacting with your Rome, you are currently interacting with your past self. What have they written before? And the connections and the serendipity, the, the why because of X, you know, that, that, that yeah. analogy is the foundation for your future self that you aspire to be. It is also like dating, if you put it that way. Like it is also like a relationship. So maybe oh. take of that, yeah. uh, take of that explanation uh, how you will. Uh, maybe you can implement it. I, I'm perfectly nice. all for okay. it. Okay. Yes, I've just written that down. That's a good idea. Okay. I'll try and integrate that. Okay. Um, so that was principle number one. There's no such thing as a soulmate. Principle number two is that just like in the dating world, um, so in in the dating world, different people are attracted to different types of personalities. Um, Equally, there are different note-taking apps for different kinds of people. And at this point, I want to re reference the Ness Labs blog post from earlier this week, yeah. where she references the quote from George R. R. Martin, where she talks about kind of the gardener versus the librarian versus the architect. If you're a librarian, then Evernote is for you because it's a very librarian way of thinking. If you're a gardener, then Rome is for you because it's like everything is connected and it's all it's all about tending your digital garden and sort of sort of finding connections over time. And if you're an architect, like you like sort of a top level understanding and everything to be in sort of a, a nice, nice well-designed system, then you're more a notion sort of person. And so for those, those three types of people, there's three different types of apps. And it's not to say that any one app is better than any other, just like, you know, my girlfriend is no better than your girlfriend, apart from the fact that mine doesn't exist. Um, and, so, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so it's all, it's all good. You know, different noting, different note-taking apps for different kinds of people. That would be principle number two. Hmm, okay. I, I do agree. Uh, uh, there, there is one point to be made, though. Yes. Uh, this is on the assumption that the apps don't change in, in function and feature. So here's something that you should know about Rome. Once their API comes out, yeah. Rome is one graph with loads of information, which yeah. means that as an API, you yeah. can easily bring notes out to interfaces. So interfaces can be like a different web app or an app or something like that. Imagine a world where from the Ali Abdal Rome graph, you have personal apps on your phone that access the same Rome graph, mm. but only contextually bring up the specific things that you pick it to be. Yeah. So an app for CRM, an app for yeah. book notes, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it means that if you're taking the analogy of, of different people are attracted to different personalities or rather mm. uh, these apps are for these kinds of people. Yeah. Right now, that works really well. But yes. once that API comes out, gardeners will now evolve into, say, having side projects or having hobbies on the side, or they have specific kinds of plants that they want to grow. Yes. Um, maybe, I don't know. Actually, you don't really have to change that point. Like, that point works really well right now. It's just that you might have to reconsider that later on in the future once the API comes out. But yeah, I, I have nothing at yeah, I have nothing at okay. I have nothing more to add to that. So yeah. Okay, no, that makes sense. But because like uh, Ever Evernote, for example, has an API. Yeah. And 
even though it's got an API, I don't think anyone's done anything particularly interesting with it. Like the most interesting use case of the API we have is Readwise integration, for example, which is a sort of objectively a simple a simple use of the API. So I don't know yeah. if people are going to come up with very interesting use cases for Roam other than just a simple um, kind of querying a database. So yeah, to, to recap, there's no such thing as a soulmate as number one. And number two, different people are attracted to different personalities. Number three is getting divorced is messy and expensive. <laughs> just like if you're switching your life from Notion over to Rome, that is messy and expensive in terms of the amount of energy it takes. And you yeah. have to really consider, is it really worth it? Are you so dissatisfied with your current wife, your current marriage, <laughs> that you want to go through a messy and expensive divorce to find, we're in the hope that you'll find someone else. <laughs> Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, I, 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 I'm. I really do. Uh, I really do agree with that. Um, I switched from Evernote from years ago in uni, and then I went to Notion, and I was trying to set up all of these relational databases, which is fantastic. Yeah. You know, it, it's yeah. been working a little, but it was okay. Yeah. And then I found out Rome, and I was like, wow, this fits me better. Yeah. I guess it feels like. Like I found a better girlfriend or something like yeah. that. I, I guess it's like that. Like, oh, like I found a better marriage partner and I'm yeah. willing to go through the divorce or I'm willing to go through the the transfer of notes to restart everything all over again to go from uh, step one. Okay, yeah. So I guess the, the, the point is to understand there is a switching cost and yeah. understand, you know, are you in the position where you want to pay that switching cost? Yeah, and from the perspective of the person reading this or viewing this, I'm not sure if you're doing a video or an article, uh, they would probably have to prompt themselves with... Is it worth the struggle to switch? So, mm. like, um, it, yeah, it, it also brings up, like, the micro bits, like, uh, going from a structured app to a structureless app is another big thing. Like, if I'm going from Evernote to Rome, the process is a bit different, even though they have imports. Sure, yeah. that's fine. But, like, the thinking is the big yeah. one. But I, th I think that's a different thing altogether. Nice. But, yeah, yeah, please. <laughs> okay. So the fourth and final similarity is that um, lots of people say that if you have meaningless sex with lots of people, that is ultimately not very fulfilling. <laughs> if you use a new note-taking app every month because you're trying to find the perfect app, that's ultimately pointless because you're not actually accomplishing anything. You're just having meaningless sex. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, I think we had this actually as a conversation on one of the episodes. Um, about meaning with sex? No, no, not with sex. <laughs> oh, Mark is going to... What gonna... kind of podcast is this? No, no, no. no. Uh, I know, I'm very open. I'm very uh, open-minded uh, in whatever <laughs> we talk about for every uh, Room FM episode. Uh, so if anyone who is a sex guru or sex educator, uh, please contact me if you want to guest on the show. But anyway, uh, there was an, one of the episodes is, was with Mark Robertson, and he talks about how his workflow was so integrated into Rome, yeah. but still with a certain level of skepticism, he would mm. try out other apps. Mm. So he would try out other apps, and after a while, he's like, oh, but it doesn't have this thing that Rome does. Or, <laughs> oh, I'm so used to doing this, but I can't do it here. I can do it better in Rome. So it's more like like you're with this one main girl, yeah. and then you go to somewhere else just, like, just to have fun. And like yeah. a prostitute, and you realize that actually, you know, my current marriage is actually pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't worth it. I, I have a feeling that it's, it's an affirmation or... It's you questioning internally whether everything is working right now, and you mm. try to prove that by going somewhere else. Yes, and then you see, oh, actually, you know, I now understand the hype about Notion, but it's not for me because Rome has bidirectional thinking, for example. Yeah, and I've always, I've always wondered if that is because 
we put ourselves inside a box by sticking to one app and we need to know if we're going in the right direction we need yeah. a different angle for that maybe Rome can provide that in some way or maybe Notion can provide it in some way or you will need some kind of affirmation from somewhere else so mm. this is now veering towards more of a relationship between where you are right now note taking wise yeah instead of your satisfaction with your current app because if things are working well with your current app you are satisfied like you're doing perfectly fine yeah so yeah um maybe there's some yeah something what's the word for it? kind of is is there something more interesting around the corner even yeah, so yeah. it's it's worth dabbling with some level of skepticism just to see because in case you find that bombshell of an app like oh my god this is perfect um you won't know unless you try Yes, exactly. Yeah, you won't know unless you try, right? Yeah, and we we tend to be very, especially PKM nerds or those yeah. in the productivity space. We want to see if we can get more serendipity, regardless mm. of what angle it is. Like there are other interesting note taking apps out there. I think this one called uh, Nototo, which is like a mm. large visual map, and I'm all about visuals, so it really makes sense for me. Yeah, but I'm not gonna veer enough. I'm not gonna run away from Rome just because I'm going to try this for a few nights and then go back and be like, yeah. oh, take me back, right? Like, <laughs> I promise I don't really love her. <laughs> okay, so those were the four similarities. And I think there is one crucial difference between marriage and the note-taking app in that in real life, polyamorous relationships rarely work out. But in the world of note-taking apps, polyamorous relationships are totally cool. It is totally fine for you to use Evernote for something, Notion for something, Room for something else. There is no moral superiority for having one and only one partner. Whereas in the world of marriage, you know, theoretically polyamorous relationships should work, but in practice it's really hard to make them work. It it can work, right? It can uh, work, yeah. I'm not but sure if I... Yeah. yeah, in practice it's hard. Uh, I, I, I think I'm going to be... Uh, there, there might be some people who might unsubscribe, but I was in a polyamorous relationship, and that oh, was uh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. When? Uh, when? Um, yeah. Like how long ago? Two, three years ago. Oh damn! How was it? Non-monogamous uh, with two partners, two other partners. Sorry, it was the three of us. Um, it was uh, very difficult. Yes, uh, as you say, very difficult, hard to make it work. Um, uh, ultimately, it failed. Right. Okay. You, there's so many different nuances and so many different avenues for self-doubt and comparison and jealousy and all yeah. this like plethora of general negativity that really ruined it like oh. really really ruined it and i'm not I'm, I'm not trying to detract people away from polyamorous relationships because i understand yeah. the rationale behind it yeah. it really right. makes sense and i, I sense. Do, yeah. and i do appreciate and respect people who are able to go beyond the conventional when it comes yeah. to defining their own relationship. And yeah. we honestly don't have the right to question other people's relationships <laughs> as long as it's one consensual and two, yeah, yeah, yeah. it works, right? Everyone's yeah. happy. Um, uh, but yeah, it, it is very difficult. Uh, so I, I, I can recognize the difference there. Uh, the, the thing about this difference though yeah. is articulating that difference is one of the most difficult things ever because you are going to fight against the general public notion, uh, I just said notion as a pun, but the general public <laughs> impression that Notion, Rome, Obsidian, Evernote, etc., they are all on the same playing field. Yeah. You have a certain bias in that you've played with these apps. Mm. Uh, I, I, another pun as well. I mean, you're trying it out, right? You're trying it out right exactly, now. Exactly. Yeah, like, yeah. um, Spreading my seed. 
you, uh, you've worked with these apps and you've tried to have systems set up and you know what works right now. Mm. So in terms of your technical prowess in making them work, like mm. you have the ability to have a polyamorous note-taking relationship work. You have these yeah. insights. It's just yeah. a matter of trying to convey that to people who uh, prefer yeah. just one app. So that's that's that's, that's hugely important. Uh, and I really honestly think that's one of the biggest issues why we are having trouble trying to articulate why because Rome shouldn't fight notions. So, so society is stuck in its traditional views of marriage being an entirely monogamous thing. Yeah. Equally, yeah. society is stuck in its views that if you use Notion, well, you can't be using Rome. That's cheating. You know, you're, you're yeah. adulterer, etc. So that's, <laughs> that's the point. Society's traditional um, productivity nerds understand <laughs> what's going on. Better at making the polyamorous relationship work. Yeah. Like, so, I would love to see, for example, a discussion between maybe Tiago Forte, Connor, and yeah. um, who was it? The CEO of the co-founders of Notion or something like that yeah. to talk about the differences between their apps. Mm-hmm. Because it is, our, it is the functionality that is the commonality, but our yeah. relationship with them is what makes them distinct. The functionality of the commonality. Is, is the functionality really the commonality? Because, I mean, Rome is very different to Notion. Uh, well, if you look at it at a micro level, no. Like, they're, they're not in common. But what, what I'm talking about is when you're trying to input information in. Okay. So normally when you're or, you know, putting in data or you're putting information, you're putting mm. in notes, all of them share that base functionality. We only look at that as the surface level impression. Uh, okay. When and we're talking we about... Them in the same category. Correct. Yeah. Therefore, we put it in the same category. Here's the thing, though, and maybe maybe you have a maybe you have your um, some thoughts on this. Labeling is freaking dangerous to me. Labeling is the simplification of trying to understand something, mm. so that we don't allow it to burden our minds more and more often. Yeah. And this is when we come to talk about, say, uh, people who are inherently polymathic. They have like five different things that they're working on at the same time. They mm. work on ten different fields. They are experts yeah. in multiple things. How do you define them? We don't know. So we simplify it by calling people polymaths. Mm-hmm. And in this case, we don't really look at the deep functionality of Notion or Rome or Evernote enough that we're like, okay, let's just bunch them all together and just call it note-taking app. Mm-hmm. Because it's, yeah, it's, right. serving the same, it's serving the same people. They're all over there, right? Yeah. Uh, so we just call it note-taking app. Uh, I honestly think that's super dangerous because it incites people to take sides yeah, and, and like right. you, like you're like you're trying to articulate here, that difference is trying to go against that. Like yes. needing to Absolutely. take sides. Yeah. So maybe that maybe that'll be the final point of my video that actually this video shouldn't be called the perfect note taking app because mm. we shouldn't be calling like that's like saying Microsoft Word is a note taking app like. Fine, but it, <laughs> it does, or it, it's like seeing PowerPoint or Basecamp or note-taking apps. Like they 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 happen to have word processing in like built into them, but the field of note-taking apps is so large that it's it's not meaningful to lump them all in the same category. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it, that's very difficult, and maybe the title maybe needs to focus more on not the perfect note-taking app, but the pursuit of the note-taking app, like finding the note-taking app. Yeah. (laughs) That's because we are now, we are now veering towards 
not trying to define the phrase perfect note taking up, but mm. going against the general thought yeah. of I need to find the perfect yeah. app. Right. Yeah. So so that that's that's a huge one. Nice. It, which is interesting because most videos or at least most explanatory videos are really just talking about our relationship with something, right? Like, oh, our relationship with rope or yeah. our relationship with uh, Notion. So, yeah, I think, you, I think you've got something here. I'm really interested nice. to see uh, how that would be. <laughs> yeah, so I'll probably film it sometime tomorrow, send it to my editor who'll release it on Sunday. Awesome, awesome. Okay. Uh, sadly, I don't think... Uh, It'll be, it'll be hard to get this episode out uh, in, in that time frame, but... Oh, excellent. But, That's good. <laughs> that uh, means well, that. The <laughs> video will look like it's original. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm backed up on a lot of episodes, so it's going nice. to be very, very uh, hard uh, to get that out in the same time frame. But, no, uh, please don't get it out in the same time frame. Like, <laughs> it's actually better for me if it's not out in the same time frame. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, let's see. We... I love I love this because because now we're going into something a little bit more meta. Instead of trying to define our own system for Rome, instead of trying to define uh, what app should I go for, it's mm. more like what system do I want? Not it doesn't matter if it's app or whatever. It's more like what system do I want? How does it fit what I'm doing right now? And yeah. how can I apply it immediately with as less friction as possible? Mm. So we see. 80% of it being conveyed in this app or this app and this app. Yeah. These good enough apps that work yeah. well and uh, any gaps that you might have, you fill it in with a different app for this one yeah. use case. Here, here's the thing though, since you're, since you're building this uh, for Sunday, what's the best way to test out whether or not this app fits, um, whether or not this app goes into, so, sorry, no. What's the best way to test whether or not this app would go well in your polyamorous note-taking relationship? I feel like it probably depends on what we're optimizing for. Like, mm. for me, my ultimate, my ultimate um, output form is YouTube videos. And yeah. yeah, there are other things like, you know, blog posts, online courses, blah, 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 blah. But really, the YouTube video is my ultimate unit of output. And so if an app helps me to create my ultimate unit of output, then I think it belongs in the polyamorous relationship. And if it detracts from me creating my ultimate unit of output, then it probably doesn't. So like right now, I don't use Ulysses and I don't really use Bear, but I use a combination of Evernote drafts, Notion and Roam. Because all four of those, in some way or another, help me churn out videos, which is the thing that I care about. So I think it kind of depends on people. Like, what do you care about? Like, what are you actually trying to do? Okay, interesting. So it's more like an end goal uh, determined. Like, your the apps that you choose are just based on end goal first, and then I mean, you yeah, reverse engineer it. Yeah. Yeah. All these apps are tools, and tools serve a purpose. And if you have a purpose, then the tool is pretty good for it. Um, if your purpose is I just want to synthesize my learnings from books that I read, then it's 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 a it's a different equation. You probably don't need drafts. You could probably do it entirely in Rome or entirely in Notion or entirely in Evernote. You wouldn't need like a combination. You wouldn't need like team functionality built in. You wouldn't need to be able to share links with other people and you know commenting and editing. You wouldn't need a lot of the features that you need to if you're working with a team and you're trying to churn out content. So yeah. I think it just depends on what you want. Well, there's a there's a revenue opportunity for you there uh, if you can make videos for per per use case 
Yeah. Uh, that would be great, uh, seeing as how you I, you could, I mean, you said that you could probably do a Skillshare a week, which is, to me, mind-blowing, because at least my perception of, of premium content or a series of online courses hmm. may take a lot longer than one week, uh, something like that. But, I mean, you're a lot more prolific, and you know more about this, uh, m- well more than I do. But like, here's an issue. Oh, yes, it's surprisingly it's, easy, though, because, I mean, if you wanted to make a course on Rome, it would take you a single day to just film it. And if you had someone who edited it for you, and it's fairly trivial and cheap to find a freelance editor, they'll be able to edit in two or three days, and you have an online course about Rome. Okay, well, these are tips and tricks that <laughs> I don't know myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, this is one of the things that, like, someone who might be aspiring to have a YouTube channel or have their own mm-hmm. blog or whatever uh, yeah. should know these uh, shortcuts. Oh, man. And uh, here, here's something related to that, actually. How do you... Are there differences between how you talk or how you communicate when you know that the person you're talking to is a fellow creator or a consumer of your content? Um. The, re- the reason why I'm asking is because I got in contact with Shu Omi mm. and... I, I I feel that I think that you've you, the both of you have talked a couple of times yeah. before, uh, and you did bring it up in the No Kagan interview that you know mm-hmm. he, his his channel blew up and uh, ever since that he started doing Rome specific videos and he expanded sure, so mm-hmm. he started from having a channel talking about general things and then focusing on Rome and he essentially became a creator accepted by the PKM community or the Rome cult uh, yeah. Twitter. How. Well, are there any differences between how you talk with those that you know are fellow creators and those you know are just consuming things uh, all around the internet? Yeah, um, I think it's le- it's more about if, for example, if someone is a creator, then <laughs> they will have a very specific set of life experiences. For example, they will understand they'll probably understand the meta around content creation as a field. And they'll probably understand kind of the anxieties associated with it. And they'll probably appreciate, you know, how you feel when you go on the YouTube analytics app and you see a video is performing poorly and you want to kill yourself. Like every creator will 100% relate to that feeling and be like, oh my God, tell me about it. Yeah. Equally, for example, if I talk to someone who is also, I don't know, uh, a, a Pakistani living in the UK, that's a very specific set of cultural circumstances. And therefore you have the same jokes, the same in, in inside jokes, the same terminology. And so... That's why I, for example, really enjoy hanging out with other creators because you automatically have that thing that connects the two of you. You, you automatically have that commonality. But then equally, if, if, even if someone's not a creator as per se, but if they're like a productivity nerd, again, we have a shared language that we can speak. And so with you, for example, even if you didn't have your podcast, we'd still have our shared terminology because you're a nerd, I'm a nerd. <laughs> and we, 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 we talk about nerd things. And yep. so the way I'm talking to you, you know, when I throw out Derek Sivers or you throw out Noah Kagan, like we both know, we both know that that what we're talking about. Whereas if I was talking to, let's say, a 13-year-old schoolgirl who only cares about studying for her exams, I wouldn't just toss out the name Derek Sivers because I know it means nothing to her. <laughs> um, so I think that's kind of how it changes the relationship. And so I always really like hanging out with other creators or basically anyone who's into the same stuff as I am because you just automatically have that shared connection. Is there a disconnect when it becomes really parasocial in that you bear so much of yourself on your YouTube videos on like, you know, life updates, etc. And once you meet up with say fans or followers or fellow creators, 
they would bring up something that is inherently relatively personal to you because you brought it up. Uh, but I'm, I'm just curious, like, how do you handle like parasocial interactions? Um, I don't really mind it at all. The only, <laughs> mm. the only thing that I sometimes worry about is because, because, you know, like I said, I, I feel I'm not very creative by our original definition of it. I kind of feel like I have a set, a set spiel or a list of talking points. And I've kind of gone through most of my talking points in videos or Instagrams or podcasts. And, and so if someone, if someone has been, you know, masochistic enough to listen to all of the podcasts I've ever been on, they will have heard almost anything I ever have to say. And therefore, if they're coming, coming to hang out with me and they're asking me, do you have any tips, tips for starting a YouTube channel? I'm going to be like, no, because you've, you've heard all of them and you know what my speed is going to be. <laughs> or if I talk about sort of, uh, you know, optimizing for things or treating life as a video game or reconsidering victory conditions and like a lot of these are like stock things that I would consider if someone's asking me for advice and if they've heard it already, then I feel like, oh, well, I don't really have anything to add. So that's the only circumstance in which uh, I don't like the parasocial thing because I feel like I am not adding value to this person, especially if they've, you know, gone out of their way to come to Cambridge to visit me, to have a coffee, to pick my brain about stuff. I want to give them value. And if all I'm repeat, if all I'm doing is repeating stuff I've already said in different places that they've seen, then I have no value to give them. And that's where I feel concerned that they're not getting what they signed up for. Hmm, that's okay. That's interesting. I, I would like to push back on that a little bit and yeah. out of respect, because I do, I do understand that. Um, especially when you're doing a lot of podcasts or a lot of videos uh, where yeah. you're having conversations with people. Yeah. To what extent will we get exhausted from saying everything that's on our minds? Like mm. uh, sometimes I, I feel a bit lost uh, as I'm trying to, you know, draft an outline for an episode or reach out to people for interviews. Mm. And I get worried about repeating myself because, mm. because these are what make up the majority of my thoughts. Mm. And the only way where we can find either a different angle to speak the same point or a completely new angle is through conversation. Like as if someone would prompt you, prompt you with the right questions. And yeah. from there you might say, oh, okay, I can say it differently. Or, oh, okay, here's a new thought. Like here's something that I have synthesized in my head. Let me share yeah. with them that can give them value. What The reason why I want to say I want to push back is because yeah. I have a feeling that you don't put any weight behind repeated value mm. you think that value must be original or mm. must be on top or additional to what they can consume from your public persona and this yeah. is coming back to the creativity thing because i yeah. think that we have traditional definitions of creativity whereby originality is the one you know one feet of uh, what's the word for it the one aspect that lays the foundation for it yeah but but here's the thing. We need to find a thousand ways to say the same thing. <laughs> and if you need to find a thousand ways to say the same thing, uh, shout out to Jack Butcher of Visualized Value. I'm going to quote that, uh, of course, uh, for this episode. Mm. Repeated value is also just as valuable as original value or at least spontaneous value. And I think spontaneous yes. value is when we really have to prioritize less as in it's the only metric of am I being helpful to you? Yeah. Right. Like as we're as we're having this conversation, and you know you want to test out your video idea to me, and I'm asking these questions to you, the resultant answers and responses and reactions between the both of us, yeah, is spontaneous value. 
even yes. if even to if a certain extent the individual spiels of both you and me we've said before in different podcasts and stuff exactly exactly yeah, and the sense. reason why is because in the context of this conversation, it is spontaneous. It is additional, mm. right? You are remixing value that is repeated because you know that it fits well to this conversation. So I really, yeah. really, right. okay. yeah, I agree. Yeah. So I really want to push back against your definition of value because I would like you to evolve that definition. It is nice. much more. Okay. Uh, yes, I shall evolve that definition. You're right. Yeah. And if it really helps you, maybe I'll just say this right now. I give you permission to repeat your value. Because oh, there, there's going to be there's going to be oh. other people who may ask you the same questions. Like, oh, do you start a YouTube channel? Like yeah. personally, I would totally ask you how to start a YouTube channel. But you've yeah. already you've already shared so much so much wisdom. Mm-hmm. And I might be one of the few people who, you know, went through all of your videos. I didn't, but like most of it. But like maybe there's something else that you could add on top yeah, of that. Definitely. And I think and kind extra- of in, in, in conversations, because obviously when, when we're making content, it's a very much a one-to-many relationship where I have to give as general advice as possible to sit, starting a YouTube channel and be like, okay, well, pick a niche and pick yeah. something you're passionate about and make a hundred videos and do it for three years and then come and ask me. Whereas if we're <laughs> actually having a conversation, it'd be like, okay, it, it would be a lot more me asking you questions rather yeah. than me giving you advice. And even though the ultimate advice might be the same spiel of, make 100 videos and then come and ask me later. Ultimately, the process that got us there was a valuable process for you because you were answering questions about, about the process. Yeah, and this is the same for books, if you think about it, right? Books have a certain structure where it's the title, which is normally the point of the book, mm-hmm. the blurb on the back, which is what you can expect, the table of contents, which is like an overview of like what you will read, and then the content itself, which mm-hmm. is essentially just the same points, but remixed into long-form writing. If you think about it that way, yeah. what that means is that a book is only a format where you send the point across in multiple forms. Yeah, that's it. Like that's I, yeah. I can, I can actually, I can actually guess what a book is trying to say from the table of contents. Yeah. Right. If you, and this is something. Maybe this is an experiment that you should try, like in mm-hmm. in your room. Um, the next book notes that you're gonna do a summary on, copy the table of contents over. Mm. And write what you think will go in there, and oh, then right. read the book. Yeah, that's yeah. that's very interesting. Yeah, the, and the that. reason why is because if, and I'm sure you've you've done lots of long form writing before in your own time or for your blog. Mm. Um, these are completed products, which means that these titles, these chapters, these words are mm. tried and true, and they're accepted for publishing. So yeah. these are at the best that they can possibly be. Which means that if you have your own interpretation or your own spin of what the table mm. of contents could be, it's another angle in smart notes, and you yeah. might already get to the point already just from reading the table of contents. <laughs> table yeah, contents. It's, it's another X. Yeah, another yeah. X can lead to Y. Yeah, Rome, Notion, Evernote, all of these are just ways to enable X, so you can get to Y. Right? Mm. Like without without us, then there is no creativity. There is no yeah. serendipity. There is no new ideas, insights, inspiration. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That, try yeah, it out. That's a, that, that's a really good chat. I'm going to try that. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, I, of course, I'm going to be a bit biased as the host of Rome FM. I really want you to use Rome more often. And I'm, I'm sure that you have more use cases for it later in the future yeah. once you start, you know, making connections between book notes. But on a more personal level, it's, it's, it's interesting to see that a lot of us have very, very different interpretations of, you know, value, creation, mm. definition, uh, like 
sorry, creativity, content creation. Yeah. Uh, are we worth it? Uh, self-worth and confidence or yeah. not. So yeah. Yeah. Um, Oh, all, all the best for that. I, I really, I really want to see like what interesting things you'll create with Rome. But here's a question that uh, mm. is meant to be, that is more expected uh, for <laughs> Romans, because I should be asking more questions about the tool itself. Um, is there any feature or anything in the future for Rome research that you would like to see? Maybe you'll use it in the future. Um. Uh, I would love for the, honestly, I'd love, I'd love for it to have like more team based features for it mm. because you can sort of invite other people to edit your notes and stuff, but it's, it's, it's not quite the same level of teamy teamness as you would have on notion, for example. Um, and I think there's a lot of interesting things that can happen when and actually, this is something I might experiment with with my team. Like when a team is using Rome as like their kind of note, shared notepad. Because the other day I was I was having a call with my guys and we were talking about book notes. Um, yeah. And if, like because we're all like productivity nodes and personal development junkies, uh, we all kind of read a lot of the same books and we have our own book notes. And so we were thinking, huh, I wonder how we can combine our book notes in an interesting way. And Rome seems like a good sort of solution to do that sort of thing where you combine different people's book notes for the same thing and create some kind of emergent sort of mega book note. So that I think kind of team features would be something that I'd like, I'd like to see on it more. What else? Like, I'm, I'm just trying to think like, why do I, why do I use notion for everything? Yeah. Why do you use notion for everything? Most, mostly because, mostly because of the team stuff, really. That's ah, kind okay. of like, uh, and, and the fact that, tables and Kanban boards work well in it. And we use a lot of those for kind of planning out videos and planning out content. Whereas I know that it's sort of a thing in Rome, but it's <laughs> like, I don't know. I've never f figured out how to, how to make one or, I mean, like it, it would require me to put some effort into figuring out how to make a table and a Kanban board. Whereas a notion is just kind of out of the box. So just the ease of use of notion is probably why I stick with that. Just a uh, just a note on that uh, for for Notion, uh, Kanban boards are not exactly the most prettiest thing right now, so you might have to uh, hold off on that uh, feature for the time being. I know that Rome is they're really implementing a lot of team related or collaborative features. Rather, once we start being able to reference blocks from other graphs, yes. so that's probably when you might be able to do sort of your own shared book notes. Um, I'm not sure if you've seen this, but uh, Rome Research is doing their own book club. So you might be able to see that as a use case for what you're doing uh, right oh, now with your team. Yeah, I, I, I kind of came across this a while ago. Room, room book club, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it'll give you some ideas later in the future if you want to like actually get into that. So okay, interesting. So team based stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think also one thing I, one thing I like about about Notion is that so for for example, I I often use the same app for team and also personal stuff, but. The nice thing about Notion is that even though we have like a team workspace, I can create private pages. Um, and one of my concerns with Rome when I started using it initially is that I shared some of the pages with my team members, but then they had access to my whole graph. Yeah. And if they didn't have access to the whole graph, they weren't actually getting the benefit of Rome because of all the bidirectional links. But then I also had stuff that I wanted to keep personal. And so the separation between a personal note, a private note and a team note 
I think Notion does well, and I haven't figured out how to do that in Rome. Oh, no, no. There, there were cases of that happening when someone shares one page in, uh, sorry, one page in public on their private Rome, and then it ended up making the entire thing public. Yeah. Uh, so for the time being, uh, quite a lot of the users are a bit, shall we say, they're not confident uh, in yeah. making <laughs> any of their individual pages public yeah. uh, because of that. Uh, so it could probably hold off, that, hold off on that because Notion is pretty good in doing that uh, specifically. And yeah, so so I think the the point where I'm pro I'm probably going to get to kind of with my with my Rome use right now is kind of using Rome as my personal sketchpad and using Notion as like the team sketchpad, and I think that's probably the direction that we're heading. A team sketchpad, okay, interesting. But you've been using Notion for so long per privately, and now, probably now that private, yeah, but like even even then, like the the vast majority of my stuff on Notion is actually team stuff. Okay. Um, okay. Because almost, almost, especially now, especially now that I've got an, an assistant, so kind of my personal projects and personal like bucket list and stuff, she's kind of helping do bits of that. So it sort of makes sense to have that in the team workspace. And so apart from like like my personal CRM, which is currently the only private private, and like my gym workout routine, which no one else needs to look at, those are kind of the only private things that I use Notion for. Okay, now I was just about to ask: Do you do your uh, Gymshark? Uh exercise routine in Rome or in Notion, but okay, you got the answer for me. <laughs> yeah, the, you know, the, the, the table and the ease of capture while I'm at the gym and I've got my phone and yeah. Oh, okay, interesting. Well, uh, it seems like um, a lot, well, uh, waiting on the potential for Rome to be a lot more useful uh, for you now because your system seems to be just working great, regardless of whether or not Rome plays a part because you can also do your book notes in Notion as well. Uh, but the possibility of Rome in the future, once you get to book number 100 yeah. uh, with all okay. your summaries coming up. Okay, I, I would love to see this book notes like linked together. I think that would be pretty interesting, although that's kind of hard because you might have private notes on there that you don't want people to see. But yeah, yeah having public book notes in a Rome with bi-directional linking and then you making the connection. So you as the yeah. curator or the connector of these yeah. ideas uh, will make it uh, yeah, pretty fascinating. I think that would be cool. And so you've, th yeah, I think this conversation has inspired me. So tomorrow morning um, or tomorrow evening at some point, I'll start building other book notes in Rome. Because it's, it's, it's really fun when I do it. I just need to actually bring myself to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. You're, you're a productivity nerd, so I'm sure that you can find some way to, you know, yeah, force yourself. motivation and sort of talk myself into doing it. <laughs> How are you? Uh, how are you getting motivation at the moment? Um, I don't really think about motivation. <laughs> ah, okay, okay. Yeah, I just think like you know this thing needs doing. Can I be asked to do it right now? Yeah, all right, I'll do it now. <laughs> I'm I'm kind of make so uh, when I when I had the job, I a lot of the things I would base on kind of what I have to do, and so I would tell myself I have to put out two videos a week. We have to get the sponsored video out Tuesday. And so, but like right now, the only thing we have to do is get the sponsored video out every Tuesday. Everything else okay. is completely optional. And so now I kind of base it a lot more on what I feel like doing. Um, so for example, last week I thought I had COVID. And so, because I had a fever, I had a cough, I was feeling pretty unwell. And so we were going to get out three videos last week and I was like, oh, screw it. Let's just do the one sponsored video and the other two, no one cares about anyway. Um, and I think I'm quite lucky in that my default state is, so for example, you know, I'd finished... 
I was I was getting ready to wind down by around 8 p.m. this evening. And then I remembered, ah, oh, we're doing this podcast at midnight, right? So I've got to do something for four hours. And I was thinking, I could watch TV, I could watch Netflix, but I would actually, I'd, I'd have more fun and find it more relaxing just to continue to write a script for like tomorrow's video. Um, and so that's what I did. And I, so I think I'm fortunate in that mostly, even if I just do the stuff that I feel like doing, that generally leads me in a generally productive direction. Yeah, so that, that productive direction is normalized for you, which is really fascinating because, because maybe there's a certain hump when you're trying to like grow a YouTube channel where you know, videos have to be edited, has to be scripted, and it has to be created and all of that. And it sounds like work, but I feel like that you've already viewed it as fun. Like it's oh, just yeah. nice to do. Like it's just yeah. nice pass like passing the time. Oh, I really like that. Like I need to think of that more often whenever I'm editing episodes because staring at audition and then just seeing the timeline go past by as and as I'm editing out ums and ahs is really, really demotivating yeah. uh, over time. As you get used to just editing uh, all the time every week. But what why do you why do you edit uh, edit out ums and ahs? Um if it's on a separate channel and the ums and ahs are oh sorry yeah I, I i meant to say coughs but like i only edit out certain ums and ahs if they detract from the main point only in the beginning of the person saying the main point if the ums right. and ahs or the filler words are in the middle i don't take uh, i don't take them away because you know the golden rule to any podcast is to humanize the guest mm. or to humanize the co-host or whoever mm. is talking um we're meant to keep that in and not only that, the stuttering, the silence, the the small background noises. Like if you're tapping away because you're trying to find notes, I want to keep that in. Yeah. Because it will tell the listener, oh, he's Ali's checking out his room to see like what he's uh, yeah. what he's uh, excited yeah. about. Right. I I want to add that because that's immersion to a certain degree. So but why why are you editing these episodes at all? Because for example, for mine and my brother's podcast, we put it through Orphonic, which automatically noise cancels yeah. and everything, and then we run it through Logic to just strip strip silences, and that's it. I, will, I wonder what the additional kind of uh, alpha is of actually <laughs> sure, sure. Um, going through and bothering, bothering to edit the episodes. It makes sense. Uh, I uh, normally for, because this is not the only show that I do, I do a few other interview shows as well. Okay. Normally, whenever I edit for clarity, mm. I always make the conscious decision of if I'm editing stuttering, filler words, etc. for this main point said by this guest, will it make the guest sound better? Or will it raise the impact of that person's point? There's a difference between you stuttering when you're trying to explain something mm. and you stuttering at the point where you want to make a point. Yeah. There, there's a huge moment there. And I think this is coming down to communication channels and uh, articulation and having to refine that, just that one point out of the entire, let's just say, two-minute spiel of, yeah. you know, let, let, let's just say you're talking about motivation being a myth, and you're like, oh, you want to make point one, point two, point three, and then on point three, it's like the most exciting point that you want to make, but then you're stuttering, you're making filler words, you're trying to find the best way to say it. You can do it in different ways because you can always say, um, uh, and then the point is da 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 da, or you take some seconds to silent yourself and then make the point. Now I make the conscious decision, do I want to keep that silence? Because here, Ali is really uh, wanting okay. to make that point, and I say no, I leave it in. But 
if your stuttering is ruining or yeah, weakening that main out. point, then I take it out. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. That's a very yeah. high touch way of approaching podcast episodes. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I respect that because, like, if yeah. if you're not editing that much, uh, it, you can pump out episodes a lot better. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I'm just too, too much of a perfectionist. I'm really worried about that. Like, if I'm, like, to be honest, a lot of these episodes. I can just leave them unedited and yeah. people will still get the point, right? Like for every Room FM, it's okay. Uh, especially for the show, which is pretty fascinating. I'm getting a lot more stuttering and filler words from people on this show. And I'm starting to think, or I'm starting to craft this uh, theory in my head that guests that come on this show would stutter more and more and or would have more filler words because they're just that excited about Rome. Either about Rome or about what they're passionate about, what they're thinking about, what they're researching about, what they're trying to create, uh, as opposed to other shows which are a little bit, a, a little bit broader uh, in their, uh, in their field. But yeah, that's uh, something for another time. <laughs> yeah, the other thing I guess is kind of a show like this. I feel like for someone being interviewed on it, it it, it makes you think more than a kind of generic interview thing, because yeah. like when I get interviewed on kind of generic interview podcasts, you know, I, I, I sort of know what sort of questions are coming up and I have spiels prepared for them. But when you're asking me sort of what my process is for like Rome notion of it, I'm like, Oh, I actually have to think about this and I have to talk about it while I'm thinking about it, which automatically yeah. makes it less uh, sort of packaged up as than my usual spiel of consistency or motivation or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I try my best to avoid that because I don't want you to repeat yourself. Uh, hmm easily you can like i can easily just link a youtube video where you explain your notion process or something like that right so why would i ask you something that is easily found on youtube channel since you are so vulnerable that you would have videos about this like all over youtube right like i i don't need to redo that uh for you uh which is why my i don't even want to say interview style it's more of a conversational yeah shift or mindset vibes yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm here to make you think and stop and stutter and <laughs> and think twice about what you're going to say. Uh, yeah. Because coming from the position of trying to understand how you think through certain things hmm. is one, the mission behind Rome FM and the mission behind me trying to understand you better. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I appreciate that you that you got that. <laughs> yeah, this is something that my brother and I try and do in our podcast as well. Like anytime we have a guest on, we don't want them to auto, to operate on autopilot because that's just not interesting for anyone. We want them to actually sort of feel like they're in the arena kind of doing battle and like actively yeah. using their brains and thinking and stuff in like a non-confrontational way. Um, one thing I was curious about, like, what do you do? Like, what, what's your background? What do you, oh. how do you spend your time? Oh, sure. Um, so I am a, oh, I, I do multiple things. So this is going to be kind of weird. Uh, so I am a podcast remaker. So I build shows for other people. I do the copywriting, the show notes, the marketing and all that for other people, like mostly companies who are trying to start their own podcasts. And I have five to six podcasts on my own. So that's wow. that's, a, that's a lot to do. Uh, so anything behind the mic, uh, I'm your guy, really. Yeah. Um, three of them are interview shows. So this is Rome FM is one of them. And I am the guy to give talks about tapping into Asia's podcasting ecosystem because there really isn't any. So it's really undefined. Okay. Um, and and so where I'm, are you at the moment? Are you, are you in Singapore? And I'm Malaysia, in KL. Malaysia? Yeah, oh. very, very close to Singapore. Yeah, yeah. Oh. 
And yeah, yeah. Uh, just just from a background being in a remote fintech startup, and then I I went off to do my own freelancing, and then I landed into podcasting, and then I just like talking to people. I'm the guy who just yeah. doesn't shut up, so <laughs> I'm just there to really ask questions and just be the idiot. Like just I I I say I call myself like the fool because the fool comes from a position of trying to be more intent, m- more what's what's the word for it? With the intention of trying to understand someone. Uh, so they ask the right questions. Sometimes it's provoking. Sometimes they are challenger questions. And I will try my best to not ask yes or no questions mm. because that stops the conversation right there. Yeah. So it's hard to transition to the next point. Um, and yeah, I, on the side, I, I do other things like memory, speed reading, coaching, and stuff like that. So like po- podcasting is my thing. Yeah, that's oh, pretty much. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So when, for example, you know, if you're at a dinner party and some like old auntie asks, oh, Norman, <laughs> what do you do for work? How, how do you answer that? Uh, I avoid that by not going to parties. Uh, no, no, no. Um, I, I, I normally just say that I, I make shows and then they normally just stop there. Okay. Or I just say that I work in radio or broadcast because it is easier to tell people about what, about yep. like they can understand radio broadcasting radio. and radio yeah. Yeah, as opposed to podcast because they're like, well, what, what is it, right? Yeah. Is, is, is it just radio <laughs> downloaded? And I'm like, no. And then I have to tell them about like the 20 year history behind yeah. podcasting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I have to stop myself because I'm like, oh no, I'm just like vomiting information on this person. So yeah, yeah, that's, that is, um, it, it is, it is, it is an interesting career uh, so far. And I'm trying to amp it up because I want to build like a, a podcast network with like a membership thing. So when you, when you mentioned uh, doing memberships for your own thing, I'm like, oh, okay, cool. It's nice yeah. to see that, that you're also pursuing uh, something very, very similar. So yeah. Cool. And since uh, I don't want to take too much of your time because it is way past midnight and <laughs> you need to sleep because tomorrow you'll be working on, these, uh, on this amazing uh, video uh, to be released for Sunday, if it's a video or a course or something like that. Yeah. Let's uh, close off the conversation with the usual uh, segments that I would like to ask you as a guest, Ali. The first one is pretty simple. How would you describe Rome to those who haven't started using it yet? Ooh. I'd say it's... <laughs> It's sort of like a very simple note-taking app on the surface, but under the hood, it's got a lot of powerful features. Um, The main one being, actually, I'd say that there are two things that make Rome what it is. Firstly, is the fact that there's a daily note. So every day you write in the daily note, and that's just the only thing that you write in. Um, And secondly, there's the bi-directional linking. So when you create a page, a link to a page in Rome, it automatically creates a link back to its original source. And so, for example, if I'm writing a note and I tag, I don't know, Tim Ferriss as like a page um, and I happen to tag him on like four other pages because I just have, have been writing notes, something to do with him, it will automatically create a Tim Ferriss page that automatically references the fact that I've tagged him in these four other locations. So it's kind of how we were like, we, like Wikipedia has some bi- bi-directional linking, but I'd say kind of the daily note and the bi-directional links are what... Um, kind of gives Rome the superpowers that it has as a note-taking app. All right, fantastic. And final question, what does Rome mean to you? 
Rome to me means a quarter of a million dollars in uh, lost revenue for not getting to the course before Nat did. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I'm, it, means I'm pretty, me, <laughs> it, it means to me s- systematic creativity. Systematic creativity. I love that. I'm also uh, leaving in the notes for a quarter million dollars in lost revenue. If by some chance we'll get Nat on the show, I'll probably be asking him about this and uh, see how he reacts to your answer. So, Ali, thank you so much. Normally, I would ask uh, if we want to contact you for anything and everything that we talked about this conversation, where can we find you? But I have a feeling that... Twitter and YouTube are those the two best places yeah, or Instagram probably not Instagram I get too many DMs but Twitter and YouTube <laughs> are other other places <laughs> is it too many people sliding into your DMs exactly. okay it... <laughs> and fantastic let's end that there Ali thank you so much oh do stay on for a bit because there's uh, some on the fly notes I would love for you to do some connections here but thank you so much and I will see you on Twitter thank you Thank you for listening to the show. Make sure to hit subscribe in your favorite podcast listening app. And for a full version of the show notes to this episode, you can check out the public Rome graph. The link to that will be in the description right below. For more updates, comments, feedback, and suggestions, you can reach out to me at RomeFM on Twitter. Keep roaming your thoughts, and I will see you in the next episode. Take care.